everyone. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I think last week we covered six verses. This week we'll cover a verse. No, <laughs> done, will we? Well, actually, we're going to cover from verse 37 to the end of the chapter together. John 8, chapter 37. Where Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Seek that which I have seen with my father and you do that which you have seen with your father. Then answered, they answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said unto them, well, if Ye were Abraham's children, you would have, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we're not born of fornication, and we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would have loved me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil. Of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He bowed not in the truth. And because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks of his own, for he's a, he is a liar and the father of, of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, well, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words, and ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory, but there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham's dead and the prophet's. And thou sayest, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, Look, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And yet, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and I keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art yet, yet fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's stand together with word in hand. Father God, again, we thank you for your word. And we do honor it, Lord. So many reasons why we do so. But Father, the one that comes to mind right now is how you've taken your word and you've esteemed it above even your own name. And so, Lord, those grounds aren't trotted upon lightly. As it were, we take our shoes off, Lord, spiritually speaking, because we know we're hearing your word. I pray, Father, that you give us ears to hear, minds to receive, Lord. And if there's anyone here right now, Father, for some reason it's just taken everything just to get here, bogged down. Would you come, Father, for such a time as this and just set them, Lord, free to hear your word today? Thank you so much, God, again for it. We just ask for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together. Now, again, we've got to remember the context of this. Again, we know Jesus is in a very heated exchange with the religious leaders. And I had gone over that last week that whenever you see Jesus addressing the Jews, it would say something like, and he said to the Jews, what he's predominantly dealing with is Jewish religious leaders and not so much the crowd in general. But man, this thing has this thing has gotten heated, and um, you read through this text, and you almost want to go to the Lord. You almost want to feel bad, and the reason we would feel bad after reading this in its entirety is because we know His nature. We know He's loving. We know that He's all truth. You know, we just know that about Him. So when we see all these insults being hurled at Him, you kind of wish you were there just to stop them and just you know. You know, this ought not to be said about him. Just again, so you can get the feel of what this would have been like if you were standing in that crowd. We see in verse 41 where it says that you do do the deeds of your father. They say, well, listen, man, we're not born of fornication. Now, that's smack talk, man. He, they, he, they were just not only uh, insulting him that he's illegitimate, but also it's something derogatory even towards Mary, the family. And so they, they, you know, this is this is how absurd this whole thing has gotten within this this context that they begin to insulting. They also in verse forty eight that they then answered the Jews, <clears throat> remember the religious leaders, and said unto him, Shall we not well, or shall we not well that thou art a Samaritan and thou hast a devil? So they're calling him a Samaritan, a Samaritan devil. And you and I, we might not think of that, you know, um, as an insult. But to them, my goodness, this is a low blow. Uh, this is very racial. Is a you know, you would use, uh, you know, being called um, a Samaritan is if if you just want to um, uh, racially insult someone. You know, we have other words today. We insult certain races. You know. And that's what exactly is happening. They're insulting him. They're calling him a Samaritan. And they know he's not one, by the way. 
they know who um, his mother is, and, and, but they are calling him illegitimate here. And then again in verse 52, I'm just trying to give you the feel of what this would be like on the Temple Mount there. It said in 52, and said the Jews unto him, we know that thou, that thou hast a devil. So now they're saying he's demon-possessed. Their reasoning behind it, Abraham's dead, the prophets are dead. And, um, but you say, if you keep my, my sayings, then no one will taste death. They're, they're out of control, folks, this, this whole thing on the Temple Mount. And um, they mock him openly in verse 53, saying, you know, are you greater than Father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets, whom makest thou thyself? You know, you're just tooting your own horn, you know, you know you're, you're only great in your own eyes. And, uh, and, you know, the funny thing about it is I read these different parts of this section and just kind of get the, the sense of what it might have felt like on that Temple Mount and um, grieving my heart that someone would do this. Um, the bottom line that the people who are hurling these insults will be the same people that will have to stand before God and Jesus being the judge. See, that's, that, that's the thing. They're saying it all now, but... You know, in the eternal, when there comes a day of reckoning, as we call it, a day of judgment, and everything's going to be accounted for, it'll be people like this and many others throughout the generations and, and throughout the millennium. And people reject Jesus for some really sad and really bad ideas. And that's what we see in this text. You know, I'm not going to go exeg- you know, go through it verse by verse with you this morning. Um, but I, I just want to pull something out. And I guess where we should camp out for our theme of our text here is verse 46. If you'll just look there, where it says, which one of you will convince me of sin or convict me of any wrongdoing? And, and if I say the truth, then why don't you believe? Um, that's a good question. Actually, there's two questions there. Can you, can you convict me of any wrongdoing? And if, and if that shuts your mouth, and, and what I'm saying is true, then simply why won't you believe? And that's the same question that everybody has to answer. Everyone. It might not come across that way to you, like, you know, courtroom setting, you know. But you will. Every one of And maybe we still do. Maybe this is something when we go through a trial. Uh, Calvary Chapel movement, Damien Kyle came down with with a real severe blood cancer, and it was kind of one of the real odd ones, and uh, he went through a lot battling that, and I remember hearing him teach up at Calvary Philly, and he says, look, I have been at the top where I've experienced honor, and I've been in the valley where I faced death, but I can tell you this one thing, I find no fault in him. And there are many people who would like to think they do find fault with him. And they have some really odd answers to these two questions. But nonetheless, some, you've got to come up with an answer. And if your answer today is, well, I find no fault in him. Like Pontius Pilate. I find no fault in him and he thinks washing his hands is going to do it, you know. Listen, in reality... There is no good reasons to reject him. Give me an amen, right? I mean, for the believer anyway. If you're, if you're not a, a committed believer, you might, in your mind, think you have some good ideas. And, and I'll tell you today, they're sad ideas. 
and some of the things even these religious leaders were dealing with is um, sad reasons as well. So what I'd like to do, and I, I'm not going to do this in order, but follow along with me in your Bibles. We will cover most of these verses here, but my main thought is at verse 47 again, or is it 46? You know, which of you can convict me of wrongdoing? And if that's the truth, then why don't you believe? What were some of the reasons that they were um, leaning on or some of the um, reasons why they wouldn't embrace his life or his teaching? Now, it doesn't necessarily come right out and say, these are the reasons why we don't, because they're very sad reasons. But nonetheless, they are reasons why they won't. And the number one that I want to point, and they're not in order, so fine. But number one is in verse 37, where he says, I know that you're Abraham's seed. He doesn't quarrel with them. And he says, but yet you seek to kill me. And this is the reason. Is because that my word has no place. My teaching has no place. My lifestyle, everything that I have done before you has no place in you. When you look up that word, by the way, if you're kind of sort of like into the Greek thing and all, literally, and some of the other translations render it this way, it's just you do not have room in your heart um, for any of my messages or any of my teachings. So, there's no room there. So obviously something's crowding it out. You know, when Jesus taught about the parable of the sower, he really tried to show us that, man, there are different types of hearts out there, right? We have the open heart and the cultivated heart where the word of God is sown and then it just takes root and it bears forth a hundredfold and so then there's another that gets thrown on the wayside which is a kind of resembles a hardened heart and there's no way that it's ever going to even take root in the birds of the air which is evil comes down snatches away and another one was a heart where it's depicted as a heart full of stones and when the seed is sown it might get have root for a period of time but when the sun comes up the heat of that sun withers that thing away and then it doesn't and then where it grows up amongst the thorns and the thistles and out. And that's where the cares of this world has just crowded it all out. The heart in the scripture is a very interesting study. And we read in Proverbs about guarding our hearts because out of it flows the issues of life. It's our responsibility. This is ours. Jesus wants to come into that which is ours. You know, our hearts are spiritual. Right now, if you don't know Christ, you're spiritually dead. But nonetheless, it's still your dead spirit. And what he wants to do is allow his Holy Spirit to come in and allow a resurrection, an old dead spirit to be revived, not even be revived, be rebirthed into something new and you're born again. But they had no room for it. They wouldn't even give Jesus's message even an inch, you know, towards his, pardon me, towards his uh, instructions. These are people who their hearts are so crowded with other concerns and ideologies and just what they think might be um, religion to them. But it's so crowded. Again, they, they won't even pick up a Bible to read it. This is a, a person who says, I don't need to read even one book of the Gospels. You know, I don't want anything to do. And that's what he's saying there. He says, man, again, he says, so do you know, you are Abraham's seed physically, yet you seek that. But it's because my word has no place in you. And gang, and, and I get it, you know, I get sometimes, you know, the Christian, speak to the Christian, might be going through things, you know. 
some real low, real low, low, a low point in your life, you know, or maybe every, you've just lost every, I don't know what your story could be, but if we're not careful, those things can crowd out our hearts to where God wants to invest his life, his miracles, his words, and we literally will go, there's no room for that right now. You know, for the unbeliever, it's just filled with all his ideologies and things life is. But for the Christian, I really believe it. It's just because he's allowed the enemy of his soul to fill that heart. He wasn't guarding it. He has now animosity. He's got anger, anger towards God, anger towards people. You know, he's, he's, he's probably wondering, well, I've done all these years. I've served him and look what I'm going. And so that heart is, you have no room for God's promises to hear it. I will say to the, about these guys here is that they're dishonest. They're dishonest. And, uh, and, I, and I think, too, guys, the danger isn't so much um, being a young Christian and finding that heart so crowded. Literally, I think the older we get, the, m- the more this is capable of happening. Where we, we, we settle down in one opinion or we settle down in one, one thing. And then when something new, when God wants to do something now, we're so full of opinions and what we think it should be. And then we're, and God wants to show us something and yet we've cut it down. We've, you know, we've, we've blocked out his word from our hearts. For them, they're trying to protect a determined ignorance. They're trying to protect a sinful life, and they're trying to protect a self-willed life. And of course, we're 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 talking about these religious Pharisees. Um, it, it's it's almost as if they're ill-equipped. Would um, would teach them. And again, <clears throat> I think the only way we can be equipped to receive his teaching. Again, not to be redundant and keep repeating, but just for just a second right now, how's your heart? Just forget what I'm talking about right now and, and you, just how is your heart? Despair, anger, anguish. Maybe not. Maybe you're full of joy this morning and, you know, you don't have a care. You're just, it's just one of those Pentecostal moments, you know. You see, but it's a, it's a question that I have to examine my heart all the time. I, it's a divinic prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart. See if there's anything wicked in me. You know, like giving Jesus a permission to examine our hearts. Another reason, again, and I, I see it in verse 46 or 45. Again, these are not in order, but I rhyme in reasons why I laid these out this way. But um, number two, another sad reason, if you look here in verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, um, you, be, you believe me not. You, you know, I, I don't know how many times I read this, this through, but, it, you know, every time I do, I, not that I've seen this movie, okay? So don't, any, don't email me, right? But do you remember that one particular, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. Okay, now I didn't see the movie. I'm just saying that I heard that one. Um, I don't think, anyway. But you know what, though? I know it's a silly movie, but what he said is so true. There are times where somebody might want to come and just speak some truth to us. But because, I don't know, the way we were raised. Or maybe we were raised with an ideology that's totally opposed to what Jesus is teaching. 
you know, you're being presented. And here is the truth. And you know it. This is why I mean the Pharisees were dishonest. They knew what they were trying to do in their hearts. They, they, they were trying to give reason why they want to just murder Jesus. They have a murderous heart. They know they're raking it in, you know, financially off the Jewish people with all their gimmicks. You know, they, they were ju- just dishonest people. But again, I think the best thing for all of us is, is to be honest with, with our maker, with our creator, with our Lord. Just to be honest with him. I, you know, I, I don't... I get it where we maybe we don't want to just share those kind of things with one another for whatever reasons. But there's not a thing that maybe you're dealing with in your heart where Jesus doesn't want to hear it. He wants to hear everything. You know, and he wants to be able to tell you everything. Even if it does hurt. At verse, uh, this is the third reason they wouldn't receive, and very sad reason too. Verse thirty-three, it says, you can look up a little bit. It says, "Answered him, we we be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man." And I dealt with that last week. That's probably the greatest self-deception verse I've ever seen. Them that they were in they were in bondage when they said that. But anyway. So how sayest thou that you should be free? And then verse 39, further down, then answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of him. This is another sad reason is really they were banking on a false sense. Uh, well, they were banking on who they who their ancestor was, you know, their lineage, their 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 uh, genealogy and what they thought was if they had Abraham well that was a that was spiritual guarantee we belong to father Abraham that's probably where that song came from father Abraham had many sons you know but it was a, a false false sense of salvation Jesus' response to them, when you read that section there, is Jesus is saying, you might be physically a descendant of Abraham, but you are not spiritually a descendant. What made them different and what made Abraham great was faith. That's what made Abraham great, not from, in fact, if they really did their homework and followed the genealogy and this family trait, they would go all the way up to Ur, the Chaldeans, and Abraham, his father, they were all idolaters. They were worshiping idols. We have Father Abraham. But like, you're, like that's really going to do anything for you. Hey, listen. You know, what made Abraham great was his faith, Right? We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, Abraham made it into the hall of faith. But, he, but this is said of Abraham, that he looked for a city which had foundations, whose maker was God himself. Yeah, he was called out of Ur of the Chaldean. He's saying, look, I, I'm going to show you a place here to go. He never questioned God. It says of Abraham, he believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness or the right onness of God. That's what made Abraham great. Well, they thought what made them great is if there was some kind of link between them and Abraham. And he goes, no, you might be physically, your physicality of your, your might be linked to 
uh, to Abraham, but you are a far cry from what Abraham believed or what he embraced. He was a man of faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to believe God. Now, listen, the da- that's a danger of having a godly heritage. You know, thinking, well, you know, grandmom and grandpop was a member of such and such Baptist church and mom and dad made us go and we were in Sunday school and now I'm say, serving on a committee and I, you know, and you look at your heritage and you think, what a godly heritage, but still that doesn't answer the question. Can you convict me of any wrongdoing? And if you can't, you simply listen to me. You've got to be born again is what he said to Nicodemus. I, 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 again, I, uh, I, I don't know that hurdle. I, I, I can't tell you I, I know how hard it is because I, I was not raised in a religious, a religious home, a godly home. I have those hurdles to, to hop over. Man, I came to Christ because I, I just knew I was dead. I was dead inside. I felt dead outside. I needed a savior and he, Man, he was there, embraced me. So I didn't have to think, well, what about all those years? You know, what about being raised as fill in the blank? Being raised as a Catholic, being raised as a Presbyterian, being raised as this. Doesn't that count for nothing? Well, it would if you can answer those two questions. If you look at Jesus, can you find any fault in him? And if you say not one, then why don't you listen to him? Oh, and make sure your heart is not crowded out to make sure you don't have a false sense of salvation. That your salvation, if someone were to ask you, hey, what day did you get saved on? I know exactly when I, maybe you won't have the date, but you'll know exactly when it happened. And you won't have doubt that God saved you. You were born again and filled with his Holy Spirit. You about everything else, but not that, not that. There is no, as I think it was Spurgeon who says, there's no grandchildren in heaven, only sons and daughters. You're not going to heaven because mom and pop was a Christian or you had a golly heritage. You want to hear something crazy? I just thought of this. A friend of mine was in, um, was in Ireland and um, he was doing some street witnessing. So he tells me that he comes across this young lady, kind of goth looking, you know, and so he figures, okay, I'll start witnessing to her. So he hands her a track and he's their general talk, very pleasant gal, you know, but uh, so he goes, well, what's your name? And so I forget her first name, but her last name was Roberts. And he goes, well, that's funny. Did you know there was a guy from Ireland uh, who was used to start a revival? His name was Evan, oh, Evan, I know that's my grandfather or uncle or whatever. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. You, you, you from the loins of, you know, one of those things. And you know, you know what your, your relative did during the, one of the greatest revivals that hit the planet? He goes, yeah, yeah, we've been told that all our lives. You know, she had nothing to do with it, man. She had her own thoughts, her own ideas. It doesn't really matter what the heritage is like, right? We're, we're from Abraham. That's got to count for something. Not if you can't answer those questions. And they couldn't. The fourth one um, that I think is a sad condition for them is in verse 44. And we're going to drop back up a little further for my next one. But look at verse 44. 
You are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. He, when he speaks, speaks lies. Speaketh of his own. He is a liar and he's the father of it. That's his nature. You know, I'm not going to say that all these religious leaders were, you know, demon possessed. Because when we think about um, demon influence, we usually tend to think about physically demon possessed people. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. It's not very pleasant, but that's what we think. Head spinning around, green puke coming out, whatever, you know. But you know what? There's something even more subtle. And, and, and guys, I really believe that there's, there's a demonic element behind every unbelief, every unbelief. Uh, if, before you come to Christ, after you come, when we begin to doubt, I believe that's an influence from the demonic kingdom. I wouldn't say it was Lucifer himself. I wouldn't be that silly to say something like that. For the unbeliever, he's going to say, wait a minute, why would you want to open your heart? Why wouldn't you want to find fault in Jesus? You You've been a part of this religion for years and years. Why? And then they can't answer that question. But you know what, gang? Even for the believer, when we begin to doubt God's faithfulness, where does that come from? When we begin to doubt whether we're saved or not, where does that influence come from? You know, I'm not saying we're, 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 we're demon-possessed or we're oppressed by him. But I'll tell you this, Jesus is true. Truth sets a person free. So when we embrace doubt and unbelief, we're embracing error and we're embracing something that's totally contrary to his promises. And when we do that, we, if we're honest, we cannot answer those two questions because you've doubted his salvation. You've doubted that he loves you. You doubt that he cares for you. That if you find any fault, even along those lines, it's not who we serve. Does that make sense? I really believe it. So what do I do? Man, when I start to doubt, doubt my calling, doubt what I'm doing, all that, I go right before him. And I just remind myself of those things that the callings of God are without repentance. I just, all those verses that I just embrace, and I just, and eventually the doubt starts to go and this despair. But for them to say that his father was the devil, he turns it around. He goes, no, you might think that you are physically a descendant of Abraham, but spiritually you're a far cry. You resemble more of his nature, the Satan's nature. If you look closely at verse 44, um, the lust of your father. They were lusting for things outside of God's will. Murderous heart from the very beginning. He cannot abode in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. He's speaking lies. He is a liar. Why? Because he's the father of it. In some translations, this simply is his nature. That's That's why I said, I think... That a sad condition for a believer or for a non-believer is, is to just allow those elements of unbelief to stay there. I, you know, I tell people, just get into the Bible. Get into the Word. Start to read the Gospels. 
Second Corinthians chapter four, let me read this to you. But even if our gospel be veiled, covered up, it is veiled to those who are perished, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Satan has blinded them. Again, they they bore more resemblance of the devil than they did of Abraham. Now, number five. Um, look at verse 43 again. He says, do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Literally, the text is you, you, you're not able to hear my word. Again, like the heart that is just crowded, we have to ask ourselves, well, what's crowding it out? What stuff is in there where they won't even give one inch towards God's teaching or Jesus' teaching? Well, here, they're unable to hear it because I believe it's because they feel so threatened. They feel threatened. If they, if they were to embrace Jesus' life and his teaching and find that there's no fault in him, they're going to have to say what we've been following all these years is disapproved. It's wrong. And again, it's, it's, a hard, it's hard for people to get over that hurdle, to think that they might, generationally too, that, they, that their family's been involved with a certain religion or a certain denomination, but still wouldn't be able. Again, the question needs to be raised is, can we convict Jesus of any sin and if we can't, what's holding us back from believing? The final thing is, I want to bring this out. Um, a sad reason is in verse 54. In verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say is your God. Look at verse 55. Yet I have known him. Or yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. I know him. I keep his saying. There is um, what I see, self-deception. They're saying they believe. They're saying they know God. But according to these verses here, they don't know him. There might be something intellectually they might embrace. They think they know him. They think they know him because they're descendants of Abraham. They might think because they keep a law. But what Jesus says, you don't know him. And so if Jesus, what Jesus is saying is true, then it's just self-deception. You know, the conclusion is this. And I think this is what he's saying to them. You know, you cannot know the Father like they claimed. You cannot know the Father independent of Jesus. There's no way. And I would say that to anyone. Do you ever hear someone saying, yeah, I know the big guy in the sky. The big guy in the sky, huh? You know, I am, you know, the chief. <laughs> and you know right away they don't have a relationship with him. For anyone to have a relationship with a big guy in the sky... <laughs> can't do it independent of Jesus. You know, you can't do it independent of being born again. You can't be doing it independent of confessing your sin before him and believing in your heart that he's raised the dead. Not anything else is just self-deception. You think of that whole conversation with uh, Nicodemus. He comes to him, John chapter 
Demons comes to him. We call him Nick at night. Some believe that he, he comes at night because he really want, he just wants Jesus and he doesn't want to draw attraction, whatever. But he comes to him at night. And his question basically stems from eternal life. I want to know how I can have eternal life, how I can have the assurance. And he says to Nicodemus, he says, marvel not what I say unto you, except man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. That was in verse 3, and then he reiterates it again in verse 7, where he says, again, I don't want you to give this a second thought. You've got to be born again. Now, here's a religious leader coming to Jesus, and, and like many of the others, at least he's trying to give Jesus just that one inch in his heart. Lord, what is the truth? And that's when Jesus said, look, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus, I don't think he's trying to be sarcastic, but he goes, how's that possible jesus does someone have to be go up into his mother's womb and then be born again and, and jesus says no nick listen that which is born of the uh, um the flesh is flesh physical is physical but that which is born of spirit is spirit that's spiritual if you've been born as a physical human being then you need to be born again and then he would say it again marvel not nicodemus you've got to be born again and now what we have learned studying through the gospel I believe Nicodemus was. I believe he was there even through all the early church. But why, folks? Please listen. He gave Jesus the chance. He gave Jesus a free trial or a fair trial. That he was honest. I just want to know. Saying, I don't know. You know what, gang? That's where it begins for me, I think. If I don't know, then give Jesus just that chance to reveal his will to me. If you're here without Christ and you just don't know, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, I just don't know. Well, don't have these sad reasons, bad reasons why you won't ever find out and answer those questions. Is your heart so filled with just your stuff that you won't give an inch? Is there a false sense of, of, of salvation where you think you're linked to some type of ancestries or godly heritage that you really don't need to go overboard and think, I don't really need to be born again. I listen to this talk show. Why do I listen to these things? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I hear you're a, this is the host talking to the guest. I'm not going to mention names. But he goes, oh, I, I hear you're born again. No, I hear that you've had a religious experience and that you're a Christian now. He says, quote, yes, I am a Christian, but not like those born again Christians. Like there's any other kind? <laughs> you see, gang? That's what the world is trying to do. You can be a Christian, yeah, but you don't have to be like the born again. Again, not giving God just one little inch, not one little ounce of your heart saying, okay, just entertain what Jesus said. You've got to be born again. Just that. So either Jesus fabricated a lie, a myth, a story, a fairy tale, or he is talking the truth. And he's talking the real deal. And he's having this, this is an argument. Back and forth. Your father is the devil. The nature of your father. He was a liar and a murderer just like you are now. You know, go simple question. Can you find one fault in me? And they couldn't. They couldn't say a word. Then why don't you believe what I say? It's nothing but self-deception. Verse 58. 
Jesus said this to them. Verily, verily, I say, before Abraham was, I am. Now listen, that's more than an inch Jesus is asking for there. You know what he's saying here? Even John would later write, I think it's in chapter 15, that the reason he wrote the gospel was to reveal who he was in the Son. That God was in his Son and the Son was in God, that he was God in the flesh. I am Exodus, Moses, the dialogue between him and God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there with Moses and God? Take off your shoes. My, my, feet, my shoes would have been flying off. All right, I get it. But who do I say sent me? I am that I am. Isaiah, two different plays where God would call himself I am, and then he would clarify it the first, the last, the beginning, the end. Two places in Isaiah. Revelations, when, God, when Jesus is speaking about himself, as he sings, says it to the reading, I am. Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I was, is, and is to come. He is the I am. They came looking for him in the garden, right? Where's Jesus? And he answers with that, I am. And they all fell backwards. They understood, but because their hearts, because their hearts were so, so crowded, they wouldn't open it up a little bit because they had all these preconceived ideas about God, they wouldn't give Jesus an inch. And then when Jesus came out and said, I am God, they picked up stones to throw at him to kill him. They understood it. He declared himself to be God. Guys, there's so many people. Rich, you can make your way out. You know, there's so many people that have the excuses, right? You ask them, well, why don't you go to church? What's the number one excuse, Right? They're all filled with, it, it, they're, it's filled with hypocrites. Okay. All right. You're right, they are, but that doesn't answer the question. You know, you can convict Jesus of any sin? No. Sad reason to say you're not going to church because... It's full of hypocrites, right? Anybody never been a hypocrite in your life? Just kind of like to meet you. Every time we play act, even for the good, how you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great, but you feel like falling over dying, you know? Or how about this one? I don't go to church because all they do is ask for money. Ever hear that excuse? That's a lousy one for here because we never ask for money. You know, but people do. And you know what I would say to both of those? You're right. Church has plenty of hypocrites in it. And there are a lot of churches out there that they're like these religious people. They just want to get in your pocket, get your money. But still, that don't answer the question. Can you convict Jesus of any wrongdoing? No, he's perfect. Someone might even say, well, you know what, Harry? so much the hypocrisy I see in the church. It's not so much of the begging for money, but it's kind of what I see outside the church. It's what people claim to be in church, but when they come out, they're not like that at all. You know, I 
my aunt and uncle, they talk about what they are, and, but what, they're no different than anyone. Mom and dad, they'll drag me to church left and right. And at, at home, they're not living like Christians. Why would I want that? Again, that could be a Bible study in and of itself, but still have, why would you, why would you charge Jesus with that? Look at his life. Don't look at my life. Don't look at your aunt's life. Don't look at the hypocrite. Don't look at the guy that's trying to soak you from money. Don't look at that. Just look at this in your own personal life right now. Looking at Jesus, can you convict him of one single wrong thing? And the answer is no. For the believe, unbeliever, I would say, then you need to read John 3 and be born again. But for the believer, I would say to you, then why don't you just believe? Why don't you just go right into your heart of hearts and just cast those things out, your doubt, your fear, your anxiousness, everything that keeps you from just enjoying the fullness of God in your life. Lay it before him, because he is who he says he is. Amen, guys? One of them, cast all your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. Come on, what a promise. You know what that, that word care means in the Greek? Your, your, your uh, anxieties. Anybody deal with anxieties? Ever been anxious? Sure. Well, Jesus said, well, if you put, give me a fair trial, you can cast all that on me, because I care for you. In fact, it's kind of a weird thing with the word he could, where it says he cares for me. It's the same Greek word where he goes, I'm anxious. I want it. Fear. We deal with fear. We begin to close our hearts down again because of fear. But it tells us that perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. Examine Jesus. And you will find not one thing wrong with him. It's us. We have the sad excuses. Amen, church. Let's stand. Stand together. I find no fault in him. How about you guys? All right. Let's pray. And whatever that is in your heart this morning, you leave it at the cross. And let him just bathe you in his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We realize, Lord, that this dialogue was on between religious people and yourself. None of us here, Lord, are claiming to be religious, Lord, but we are telling and confessing to you, God, that there have been times we've allowed our hearts to be so crowded out that we kind of cut you, cut you short. Forgive us. There have been times, Father, we bank on the past, thinking that our past is what's carrying us through, but Every day with Jesus should be like a new day. Please forgive us, Lord, and continue to cleanse us. And as that divinic prayer went, you know, search us. Lord, search us. See if there's any wicked way in us. Because we'll be so quick just to get it to the cross and ask for your forgiveness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you made us sons and, and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together.